Is there such a thing as overspending in fantasy baseball? I'll ask Todd Zola from Masters Ball, Rotowire, and ESPN next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, March the 26th. It's show number 14 of the 2019 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we do have another great Tuesday Tout edition for you. We'll talk with Todd Zola from Masters Ball, Rotowire, and ESPN, a longtime favorite here in Baseball HQ Radio. I'll ask him about the myth of overspending, how to stream pitchers, season-long daily leagues, his boons and banes for 2019, and even more. It's another big Tuesday Tout edition. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? The Diamondbacks have a closer. We gotta talk some baseball. Arizona Diamondbacks manager Tori Lavullo said Sunday that right-handed reliever Greg Holland will be the team's closer to open the 2019 season. Fellow right-handed relievers Archie Bradley and Yoshihasa Hirano had been mentioned and drafted as possible closer candidates in Phoenix, but they'll go into setup roles for now. Holland has had some tremendous success as a big league closer. He had 125 saves in his last three seasons in Kansas City, then fell off a bit, had TJ surgery that kept him out for a year. He came back with a bang in 2017, tying for the National League lead with 41 saves in Colorado with a 115 whip. He pitched, not that well, for Washington and St. Louis last year and signed a one-year deal with Arizona this offseason. Interestingly, this spring Holland has a 12-27 ERA in just three and two-thirds innings. So it's going to be interesting how fantasy players react to this news. The role is everything, but are you going to place a bid? In the first inning of this Tuesday Tout Edition, part one of our interview with our feature guest expert, Todd Zola from Masters Ball, Rotowire, and ESPN. Todd, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Good to be back with you, Patrick. Well, we're heading up to opening day. A lot of fantasy drafts are pretty much done. I know there's some home leagues and stuff that will be drafting right at opening day or, or shortly thereafter, but how many fantasy teams will you be playing this year? Uh, I, let's put the number something between more than I should and not as many as normal. So how many is that? I, it, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't, I don't count, and I do a lot of best balls this year. So it's it's in the double digits. I don't I don't know that I act. I don't I've never actually, probably because I'm scared. But it's it's in the double digits. But I, I've cut back on some of the stuff that I normally do, to pay more attention to some of the stuff that I'm still doing. So you know it's part of you know part and it's several different formats too, Otno and and Stratomatic and Score Sheet and you know that that sort of thing. So it, it's spread amongst you know to get my to dabble, to dabble in all the different formats. Well, and that's important too, isn't it? I, I just took up a couple of extra drafts this year because I found I was 
as an analyst and as somebody who writes about it, it was getting more and more difficult to stay on top of the formats because I was kind of married into the American League only format. And all of a sudden I realized that, you know, 80, 90% of people who are playing fantasy are in mixed. So I signed up for a mixed uh, snake draft and I signed up Mm -hmm. for a mixed auction so I could be more in touch with what they're thinking about and the realities that they face, which are really substantively different. So in a way, it's kind of a professional requirement that you mix and match. No, absolutely, and I mean, yes, if if that's what you know, you you by hosting the podcast, you know, in in writing it yourself, but you know, you're exposed to all the different methods. So to be be a be, you know be the best interviewer, you need to know what you know the questions where they're coming from. The so that makes a lot of sense. I can see where other people who have their own niche may not need to, but that's you know that's especially for what I need to do. You know, I'd like to stay on top of everything. So yeah, I I kind of need to know, and if that. What's it, you know, jack of all trades, master of none? If that applies, I, I guess so be it. But I still feel, you know, as far as serving the, serving my clientele, as it were, serving my audience, I think it helps. If it, if it hinders my own game a bit because I've got, you know, too many oars in the water, whatever the expression is, well, that's just part of, you know, part of the uh, part and parcel to doing what I do. Yeah, I thought so too. And you mentioned that you're playing some best ball, which is a, a really low involvement kind of thing after the draft. So that almost doesn't count as far as the workload aspect of it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the both you know the both the NFBC and fan tracks have got best ball. They're they're pay for play. They're you know, but 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 they both have uh, best ball contests out there. So yeah, a lot of it is just because we're all draft nicks. Yeah, I'll do a draft. I'll do a draft. And then, you know, you know, the, the last thing I want to hear when someone does a mock is, hey, let's play this out. Like, no, no, I promised I helped you do a mock. I don't want to play this out. I'm playing too many out. You know, we all, we all hear that. So the, the best ball's fun. Now, it's, it's points. It's not roto. It's different. And, you know, the traditionalists may, 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 you know, scoff at that, as it were. But there's still, you still have to, it comes down to player evaluation and then ranking, and then figuring out how to build the, the the optimal team within the rules. So, other than the fact that it's points and not roto, I mean, it's it's you know very similar thinking. Like you mentioned, I'm done. You know, I did whatever ten best ball, and the only work I have to do is to see you know how, how far ahead I am in the standings. Well, when I was doing it, uh, my three drafts, I tried to get as many duplicates or triplicates uh, as I could manage because I thought, well, if I get the same players, then at least I can keep track of them. And uh, I know I'm risking all my eggs in one basket kind of thing if anybody gets hurt. Uh, I had Jose Ramirez in two drafts, so my heart was in my mouth the other day when he hit a foul ball off his knee and it looked pretty bad, but I guess that's not going to be so serious. But then I realized most of my down roster players are the ones I have to worry about more, and they're all completely different for the most part. And they're the guys I'm going to have to keep an eagle eye on because they're going to you know, lose their spot on the roster or underperform, and i got to be constantly vigilant on those guys, which means i got all these extra guys to look at. And uh, I've in the first um, free agent period, which is already upon us because of the weird timing of the season, uh, I've, I've found that, boy, it, it just looks like it's going to be a lot more work than I remembered. Yeah, and, you know, the, you know a lot of the other leagues I'm doing are the draft and hold. Which again, you know, you think that there's not, it's just there's no fab, but sometimes it takes more work in the draft and hold because you're looking at 50, you know, well, at the beginning of the year, you're looking at 50, but, you know, it won't be long before. Some people are already looking at 46 or 7 or 44 players. 
but with injuries hit. But I think sometimes it takes me longer to set my roster when I'm looking at 50 players and deciding the matchups amongst 50 players than I am if I just have to put Fab in and then figure out which of my seven reserves. So sometimes, you know, I think people play the draft and hold thinking it's going to save some work, and it might not. You know, not to mention you, you get, you know, you get that haggling. You get more haggling over when you get 50 players. It's you know the, the playing with your head, mind games. You know which 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 platoon guy do I start, and make the wrong decision, and, and this that and the other thing. So uh, sometimes the draft and hold are not the are not the simple you know the the simple approach that you thought. You know I'm going to save time over fab. You know I, pr- I actually prefer the fab leagues uh, than I do the draft and holds. But uh, you know to do do those as well because it's necessary when people want to know in the 38th round who should I take. If I've ever taken anybody in the 38th round, how can I answer? Yeah, and how do you even answer that question, even if you have? Because <laughs> by the time you're at 38, right, I mean, you're you're so far into your own roster construction that you could take almost anybody out of the remaining pile right, and right. justify it. Uh, I noticed I got invited into a couple of draft and holds, and I thought about it for the uh, under the same basis that you were talking about, and I kind of realized this may be more work than actually just doing fab because now all of a sudden I got to like scale all my reserves and yep. my lesser active players on the basis of who they're playing that week, who are the pitchers this week. It's like doing uh, it's like doing the world's biggest DFS draft every every week. You know where you got all these guys to choose from. And yep. You to, and one of the things that really because I'm so um, detail oriented. And I know you're the same. Is that you kind of? Uh, it, there's a danger that you can get caught up in the minutia of, you know, well, this guy's got a woba of you know, three twelve against left-handed pitchers named Joe, and you know, and this guy's got a three thirteen. But on the other hand, the park, you know, the park's better here. Oh my gosh! And before you know it, you've looked at it for two hours and you still haven't made up your mind. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I think I think you you know you're being a little hyperbolic. I think we both know which stats should be you know trump the other stats or be more important but yeah they did you know at, at some point with so many players you don't know it does come down to a coin flip you know or or a, one of those whimsical stats that you use to break the tie but yeah for sure for me it's just you know i i i i, I inevitably <laughs> i inevitably miss a guy you know oh darn i didn't even i forgot he's he was like 47th player list and i forgot all about him so you know it's it's uh it, it it's 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 a fun format but it's not, you know, it's not the, uh, you know, the, the the guys that are doing the Tout Wars draft and hold, I don't think that they're going to learn, I think they're going to learn quickly that they didn't get out of, you know, getting out of fab isn't going to help their Sundays that much, because their their Mondays or Sunday nights are going to be just as laborious, if not more so, than the, the, than the Touts with, with four reserves. Well, you mentioned you're playing quite a few drafts. Uh, every year we talk about this stuff, uh, hitter-pitcher splits, do you take a pitcher in the first round, uh, how do you play stolen bases, uh, all, all those kind of things. Have you noticed any common themes in this year's drafts that uh, maybe were a, a bit of a change from past years? Yeah, well, it's kind of funny because um, I may have been among the early industry pundits to point out that it would, it, it's, it's, it's advantageous to take pitching early. Um, and a part of that was being in the NFBC, which th- they were sort of, and it's its own economy, its own entity, the NFBC. So there's there's certain reasons for it, but there's you know it, you can transcend that. There's also reasons why it made sense to take pitching early. So I was kind of a an early proponent of that and backing it up with numbers and the whatnot. Now because everybody's doing it, it makes sense not to. 
So I've kind of been pounding the, the, the drum. I'm not saying don't take pitching early. What I'm saying is don't force it. Don't don't jump guys into your roster that don't deserve to be that don't deserve that spot just because everybody's taking pitching early. Take advantage of that. Grab the hitting that you know, if pitching's going sooner, that means hitting's falling and the thing that people are forgetting or overlooking or don't even realize is the top of the hitting pool is just as striated as the pitching in that the, there's a there's a there's a drop off from the top hitters and if you get more of these top hitters you can build up such an excess in hitting that you know th- that you don't need to finish whatever fourth or third in a category you're going to finish first or second and still end up with the same amount of points so what i'm seeing is even you know people eyeball my rosters and say you don't have enough pitching but they don't realize that I, you know injuries can happen or i could pick you know i, I could be mis misevaluating players but they're not noticing the, the the strength of offense relative to to other years. So I think it, well, that's the one thing I am noticing is um, you people people are just so mar- and not just not just high stakes anymore. In general, people are just so married to I have to take one of the aces early because there's just not that many of them. You can go back to the old mantra, and I think we've talked about it even this this off season. You can still manage pitching. You know, you you always have to bully hitting. You can still manage pitching. You cannot manage hitting counting stats. You have to bully them. So it's not easy. But um, that's that's kind of what I'm noticing is. And from what I'm hearing, I didn't. I wasn't out there in Vegas this past weekend. But you know, as what normally happens, pitching already already goes very very quickly. As usual, it went even faster. So I mean, some of these drafts I've heard, 11 starting pitchers in the first 22 picks. That's just insane. Yeah, in my uh, FBI uh, Fantasy Baseball Invitational draft, uh, Chris Sale actually fell to me at 14, and I didn't take him, uh, partly because of uh, something I read that you had written about the need to establish your hitting because it does fall off, just as you said, with pitching, partly because I'm just worried he may get hurt. He was hurt last year, so I had a couple of reasons to do that, and I ended up starting uh, hitter, hitter, hitter before I took my first pitcher, and I think it's a justifiable act, shall we say. I'm not going to say it's the right thing to do. So much depends on who the guy is. Had it been DeGrom, Todd, I think I probably would have taken him. Not that mm-hmm. he was going to fall to 14, but if he had of, I would have, or if it had of, you know, Max Scherzer, of course, somebody like that. But uh, I didn't want Chris Sale at that spot, and we'll leave, that, leave it at that, because I think um, I came out of the draft, and at first glance, you'd say, "Oh, you didn't get your first pitcher till four, and the next one till six, and so forth. You're not going to have enough pitching." And I, I say, "Yeah, well, look at the rest of it, because I'm going to win every yep. offensive category, I think, because I I really b- bullied up on everything." So, I guess we'll see. Uh, on Twitter, you said you missed the days when a league got <laughs> drafted during the first weekend of the season, and only players on their big league teams' 25-man rosters were eligible. I remember those days, and I think I agree with you, but are we just being curmudgeonly? Yes and no. Um, you know, someone t- uh, tweeted back, I-, I agree with you, except, remember, you also had to finish out, figure out the, the stats by pen and pencil on, out of USA Today. So, oh, yeah, that, that is right. So, I mean, that I know, you know, you know my, my Twitter account, a lot of it's tongue-in-cheek, and that's kind of kind of what that was. But it had a little, you know, it, it had a little bit of truth to it in that, it happened to be I happened to be you know scrubbing my my numbers at that point, and a lot of players were announced to be sent to the minor league camp or or just strictly released, and you know we're we're st- we're doing drafts and I know I, I'm selfish I wanted to be 
this is how I evaluate the player, this is how I quantify that evaluation, and this is how I draft my team. But there's still so many options, not so much options, but teams like, I don't know, the Padres, and that, that just, we just don't know, and the Indians, we don't know, we don't know the playing, how the playing time's going to flesh out. So sure, it's a skill, there's diligence, there's hard work in trying to make your best guess, but it adds it adds a different layer of, of, of analysis to it that I don't know. It just and I don't say cheapens, but it's just it's not it's you know it, to me it's not what I want the game to represent. But unfortunately, not so much unfortunately, but you know I, I alluded to high stakes a couple times and and we need to do mock drafts and and to get all these other you know the, the you mentioned the TG the the J, Justin the Justin Mason uh, great fantasy baseball invitational. In order to get all this stuff in, you know, we we can't do, you know, I mentioned I'm doing double-digit drafts. I can't do double-digit drafts on, on on this coming weekend, right? You know, after after the season, so I understand why the things need to be done. But it, it sure was nice going into my, and it's going to be nice going into my home league draft over the weekend, knowing the only players I can call out in nomination are the ones that are on the 25-man roster, and we have those because it started after the season. And, you know, so there's no, you know, the, 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 you know he's on the 40. He's not on the 40-man. He's, he's a non-roster invitational, uh, non-roster invite. So it is kind of nice. But, but yeah, we're being a little bit curmudgeonly, but I think the game is, it's a, and you know what, even if even we if we know how many the outfielders on San Diego's opening day roster, we're still not going to know how the, the, uh, the playing time is going to be distributed. So there is still a lot of that element to it, but it was part joke, but part I think that it does reflect on today's game a bit, where you know we're we're making decisions. I don't know if it's so much non-baseball decisions, but you know if if, if you know in a, in a in my own personal utopia, what I'd like the game to be all about. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola. And Todd, uh, one of your jobs is to run uh, Tout Wars in conjunction with the rest of the members of the board. The Tout Wars weekend took place on St. Patrick's Day weekend. Uh, how did everything go? I think it went well. <coughs> Excuse me, sir. I, uh, other than the fact that by doing my second auction in a week, uh, auctioneering my second auction in a week, haven't gotten rid of this residual cough yet. But short of that, I think it went well. I mean, we're going to... Haven't heard any any complaints from the from the touts, so we will be surveying the the uh, ladies and gentlemen that that took that took part in the festivities in New York. But weather cooperated. Uh, our you know you, our our venue on Saturday was the fr- first time in a while that we were back in a conference room, and that had a great old timey feel for me. I kind of even though I only I didn't I was just I didn't do my my draft in a conference room. Kind of got a tingly feeling walking, you know, do, seeing uh, Wars back in a conference room. I, I I enjoyed that. So we'll see how people, other people enjoyed that versus some of the other uh, venues. But other, you know, the, you know, a, a slight downer, I guess, was being St. Patrick's Day weekend. We had to move our Foley's party to Friday night, and attendance was down relative to previous years. So that was kind of a little bit of a bummer, but that's out of our control. So. Hopefully uh, next year we can move back to Saturday, get a few more people coming out, and you know, and, and, and close down the joint. What's new at Tout this year? What's new at Tout this year? I think the uh, I think the newest thing, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, was a draft and hold league. Is is we we've, we're now up to six. We're now up to six Tout Wars spawn. Well, if you if you include Tout daily, I guess you could say seven. But uh, we added Tout draft and hold. 
and oh, you know, I'll be I'll I'll be honest about this. This was the uh, the brains child of the late Lar Michaels, our friend Lar. We were uh, he and I would 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 G chat on on a regular basis and kind of not so much on a whim, but just kind of you know kind of you know light lightheartedly or whatever. He just one of the things says, you know what? I think we should talk about adding a draft and hold league to Tout Wars. There's just so many young, talented vibrant writers out there that are deserving of some of a of a, of a spotlight of some recognition of of the uh of, of being in tout wars so i you know i agreed and you know we we you know we mentioned it to the other board members kind of casually um lar was uh, unable to attend our meeting which happens to take place in, in first pitch arizona so on his behalf i I tabled the rest of the board with Ron Chandler, Jeff Erickson, Peter Kreutzer. I, uh, I I asked, I mentioned the rest of the board. I'm doing this on behalf of Lar because if he was here, he was doing it. He wants to have a draft and hold league. So they kind of got the, the the nods of approval. And basically, if you if you if you could pull it off, if you can get the 15 people out here, it sounds like a great idea. And it didn't take long before we uh, would. Yeah, Jeff Erickson was the point person as far as putting the puzzle together. We got the uh, the invites out, and we made 15 people very, very happy that they're uh, that they're in Tout Wars. They, some of them joined us in New York over the weekend. Uh, others just have, uh, you know do the do the draft uh, online and whatnot. But it was uh, it's you know in, I I agree with Lara. There's some there's some very very good work being done out there. And I think it was, you know, I think you know there's there are there are 70 people in the industry doing work, at least that's worthy of some recognition. So we're very happy to be able to make the day. You know, I know it's, it's fantasy baseball, blah blah blah. You know, I, it's it's what we do. It's for a lot of people, it's our jobs. It, it, it's what we chose, and it felt kind of good. And some of the stories that we told when I got that email from Jeff and invited me in the league, it was like you know the the best day of the year so far. Well, you know, there's 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 still there's still another you know nine months. You'll hopefully you have better days, but it's kind of nice to know, you know, we made your winter a little bit better. Tout has been ahead of the curve in a lot of ways, especially adopting on base percentage instead of batting average for all the leagues. Uh, how does the board decide when to follow the norms of fantasy baseball to keep it relevant for as many people as possible and when to challenge those norms and try to pull the industry towards a better way of doing things? Uh, and I'm saying that because I strongly believe that on base percentage is a huge improvement on batting average. How do you guys decide when to consider those changes and how to make them? Yeah, that's tough. And uh, another change that we've implemented that you, you you've seen in action is the swingman, in in re, in reference in regards to the increased uh, pitchers on a major league roster and the lack of a replacement player pool in the hitting side. If you get a guy hurt, we've taken the fifth outfielder and made it into a hitter pitcher utility, as it were. And that 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 actually that's that's used by a lot of deep leagues out there. I'm not saying we started it. But I mean, I, it, it, I have seen a lot of leagues use it. It's kind of tough. And right now, to be honest, uh, you may have heard some of the mumblings over the weekend and references to it. We're kind of going through that very question that you posed: How do you balance being relatable versus unique, ahead of the curve, trying to do things, you know, air quotes better with the, with our points league, our head-to-head points league? We've been uh, kind of messing around a bit with the scoring. Now, one of the issues with points leagues is there's no standard 
scoring system. There are similarities, but be it ESPN or CBS or Yahoo and Fantrax and uh, the NFPC Cutline, there's no standardization. So it makes it difficult in that regard. You know, it's not as if we're going against the norm because there is no norm. But so, but yet we don't want to be too out there. That you know, oh great, Tout's doing a points league. Wait, they they have coefficients. They have you know, it's one point two points per a single. What's that all about? You know, you, you turn them off before you even get them going. So we did not, we're not doing that. But um, so it's difficult that we want to kind of be have a system that we feel is you know best is for the game. But it's not always what people are used to out there. So we're kind of having that battle right now, trying to find the, the, the balance between that with the points. But in general, we, we open up the floor at the end of the season for suggestions, for recommendations. And we might have our own as well. But anything that comes up gets discussed. I, kinda, I mentioned, alluded to earlier, we have a, a, a meeting. And just to, you know, just to complete the board, uh, people, you know, Lar passed. He was on the board. Brian Walton has replaced Lars, so we have a five-man board, which um, which is great for uh, distributing duties. But you know, any five-man board, it's uh, sometimes decisions. We're not in all, we're not all in the same room. Sometimes our decisions need to be, uh, you know, it's it's tough to get five. You know, Jeff's Jeff's on the West Coast. I'm doing this, and 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 Ron's doing that. You know, sometimes to get a decision on something between it, it takes a little a little longer than if we were in a room. We could say yes, 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 no, or whatever. So sometimes that that that's a little bit frustrating, but we get it done. But um, we discuss them, and some things we'll put up to a vote. Other things that we we trust the board to make the decision. Major changes. It, it does go through a polling. The OBP went through a polling process with the with the leagues. Um, I don't know. I don't remember the swingman did or not. So major changes. You know, if, so if we were to change i don't know i'm just making this up i'm not saying we even we're not considering it but if we were to go saves plus holds or something like that we'd pull the leaks if we change a transaction deadline from noon to you know two in the morning or two in the afternoon we just tell you guys that that's the that's the change so uh open to suggestions we talk about it if it's if we feel it's worthy of implementation we pull the league and then you know we'll implement as as necessary well, we talked about on-base percentage. You mentioned the swingman rule. There's been some other changes uh, that you talked about. What other changes have you guys considered and rejected over the last few years? Um, I guess some of them may have to do with the the, the reserve list combining. And, 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 and this is kind of interesting too. Not so much interesting, but uh, people that play the mixed leagues have different opinions than the AL because it's a completely different dynamic. Some leagues want uh, limited reserve, someone unlimited, I'm sorry, DL, unlimited DL, uh, I gotta get used to this, IL, uh, not DL, it's now the IL, so the unlimited IL, somewhat just, you know, more reserves, but the IL gets folded into it, so I think that's been one of the, 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 the reserve list, how that's handled, and we, what we, one of the things we've done, a couple of the changes that we have implemented, and I know we didn't poll the group on these, but one of the things we did was we reduced the AL and NL to four reserves, not six, adding in not, and, you know another couple of, of players to the player pool, as it were. And even though traditionally the rule book says that you have one grace period when your injured player 
gets taken off the DL to to act on him. We don't we took away that grace period. Just you know, let's let's get the player pool replenished that much faster. The 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 the, the next transaction period after your DL player is activated, you have to make your decision. Now, if it's like on a Wednesday, you get a few days to see what he plays, how he plays. But if it's on a Sunday, and especially if it's a pitcher, you know, you may not, you, you may want to see, you may want a free look at the guy before you activate him. It's just, you know, the, the, the rule is now you, you must act on him. You can reserve him. You don't have to start him if you have the reserve space, but you must act on the player immediately, the transaction period after he comes off the DL or is, or is promoted from the ma- promoted from the minors. And is the player, and I know a lot of leagues argue about this. I've been in leagues that argued about less, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, when, uh, when you activate the, the, uh, player from the injured list, is he activated immediately or is the activation only effective for the weekly activation? We tout Wars has got a midweek activation rule where you can, if the player, you know, if you, if the week starts on Monday and your player comes off the DL on Thursday or Friday, you can activate the player with the caveat that the player he replaces must be released. Um, if unless unless the player he replaces is also hurt and he can go to the DL, so. You, even if a player comes up from the minors or comes off their DL, you are able to activate him into your Tout Wars lineup. But it's at the cost of releasing a player. Now, in AL and NL only, you usually have that, you know, scrub, as it were, to do that. In mixed, sometimes you might want to wait until the, the next transaction period before you make your move just to figure out who to release because your roster should be a little bit stronger. And another change that we instituted this year was um, we used to, you know, with Twitter and the whatnot, you hear is on the DL, you know, you hear all the time and they may not actually be on the major league DL yet. You just there in the manager's meeting. He said, yeah, we're, we're putting John Smith on the DL, but they actually haven't put the paperwork in yet. So we always used to require, the player to be on MLB or ESPN's transaction listing, and then you can act on him. And sometimes that took uh, a day, uh, and added a day to the process. So you lost a day of being able to activate a player that got hurt. You know, this is also true. If you get a player that gets hurt midweek, you can reserve him and activate someone from your roster. So what we've done this year is, because on Roto, our our host, our, our fantastic host, is on top of players being officially placed on the MLB DL. They they have a program that that scrubs these lists that I just mentioned, and they two or three or four whatever number of times a day update the status of players. We've taken the the own not, not so much onus. We've taken the you have to show us that he's on the DL or uh, you know on on, on transaction away, and it's just if he's on the on roto DL. You can put him on IL. I'm sorry. If he's on the on roto IL, you can put him on your Tout Wars IL. We're trusting, we're we're trusting technology. Technology is better than it was years ago, so we're 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 adapting to the better technology, 
And yeah, you know what? There's going to be players, maybe West Coast games that the player hasn't been put on the IL yet. But I think the for the greater good, and you know, one of those things that will even out over the course of time. You know, I you know I it, I get screwed this week. You get screwed the next week. It it, it things and knock on wood should even out. And so that's another kind of minor adjustment we made to technology was just letting on Roto do the work for us. If the DL designate IL designation is available on on Roto, you don't have to wait and show until it shows up on ESPN or MLB. You can make the move. Also streamlines things uh, a lot, I imagine, because the uh, on Roto software doesn't have to. You don't have to fool it or figure out some way of getting around it because it doesn't let mm-hmm. you put guys on the IL who are not on its IL. And now it's right. a, it's a single source of truth, as it were, as, as they talk about it. So that's uh, another big plus. Uh, Todd, before we uh, wrap up on Tout Wars, how should listeners, how should fantasy owners in general, use what goes on in Tout Wars and the other experts leagues? to inform what they do in their own leagues. Yeah, that's tough because we we engage a lot of people in March during our drafts, and this year we brought back our chat room, so we had some great chats going on. But we do lose interest, and I'll, you know, I'm going to be completely honest here. I'm no longer going to be writing up the fab reports that I've written up in recent years, so at least the one-stop one shop, shopping for all the fab is isn't available as always you can go to the individual sites and see the results i'm just not being putting them together so it's a little bit tougher but the great thing and one of the reasons why we brought so many of these young young guys and young gals in is they're so active on social media and you can always always uh tweet at these people to ask them what their opinions and and why they did what why they did the whatnot so once we get in season if you if you are interested all the tout league, all the tout wars leagues have, have publicly accessible links. You can look up the fab bidding, and the tout wars site has got everybody's Twitter handle. So if you want to know why so and so bid X amount on this player, you know if you if you're that interested, and you want to do the work, you can check what their bid. You can find out their Twitter handle, and you can tweet at them. And more often than not, you know, especially if you let them know that you're asking about tout wars, they'll they'll be more than happy to to give you the answer. Um, you know, having said that, uh, we are going to be doing a couple of things in season to try to keep people engaged at Tout Wars. And one of them is what's something we've done the past couple year, last year anyway, and did a little in preseason, and have our Tout Tables, where we, it's a round table where we ask a question and, and we get some, some round table responses. And I alluded to the chat earlier, that we have some chat software now. So over the course of the season, we will be having tout chats where um, one or, you know, maybe we'll do it for an hour and have someone host the first half hour and then someone else host the second half hour. And you can ask a specific tout, you know, a question. And what we'll probably do is have other, you know, I'm sure there'll be other sessions where it's just kind of a free-for-all where I send out a note and say, anybody who wants to hang in the chat room, we're going to have a public chat, you know, tomorrow at 8 p.m. or whatever. And you can ask whoever happens to be in the room, you can ask questions. Uh, so that we are going to try to do that to keep people engaged. And I mentioned Tout Daily earlier. Um, we're going to have this chat room open during Tout Daily. And not that anybody really cares that you and I are battling out over, you know, the, to win that week. And we're both in the chat room, you know, you know, wishing ill upon each other's batters and pitchers. But it might be fun. I think it's going to be fun to be able to 
uh, sweat out the tout daily once a week in a, in a chat room. I think it's going to be fun, a nice experience for those of us in tout wars, anybody in the public. And the, you know what? We're in a chat room. You know, in between my guy at bat and your guy at bat, I think we'd both be happy to answer a question or two. So it's even though it's for us to sweat out tout wars, you know, we're we're in a chat room. Let's let's ki- let's kill some time before my pitcher's up. You know, pitcher's on the mound. Sure, I'll answer your question. So I think uh, I think it's an interesting way to to try to keep people engaged. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola from RotoWire and Masters Ball and ESPN. And Todd, I mentioned RotoWire. You write regularly there in a columns called the Z Files. And in a recent column, you discussed the idea of what you called a season-long DFS league. And before we talk about the details of that. Why did you think fantasy baseball owners might be interested in yet another game format? Um, selfishly, I love it. And as it turned out, I may have picked the wrong platform to, uh, to express my, my feeling for it because it was the week before a lot of drafts and maybe I should have done a more of a this is how to help you win your league and, and, and blog this piece. But part of it is because I feel so strongly about it and if you you know there's there's still time, and even people listening to this podcast, there's still time to put together a DFS league. And I've alluded to Tout Daily, and and that's it's kind of along those lines. And I, I think, and and it was proven by a lot of the replies in this piece, in that people see DFS and their their mind just suddenly goes, you know, to the dark side, and they don't even care what the rest of the piece said. DFS is terrible. It's blah blah blah. blah. And they, you know, completely missed the point of of what the the, the piece was all about. But um, you know, so the, it, but um, I don't you know if if I can, it, I, I just want to explain that that it doesn't have to be about the money. The FS, you know, it's a fun format in a vacuum. It doesn't have to be about trying to take down a tournament. And although these are all skills, you know, gambling skills, if you will hedging and, and knowing how to fade and, and, and the whatnot, they're all, you know, probability and the whatnot. They may not be the baseball skills, which we're after, but but you can, by playing DFS over the course of, even if it's once a week for 20 straight weeks, you flesh out some of the luck, you avoid the injuries, and the most consistent and skilled person at figuring out matchups on a daily basis and the whatnot you know, should rise to the top of a of a standings, if you will, of a of a weekly DFS league. So, to me, that's why I called it best of both worlds, in that it in, in it incorporates some of the DFS flavor as far as uh, salary cap picking up players on that day, but doing it season long. Yeah, you know, we're each gonna have a week that's really really good, and we're each gonna have a week that's really really bad. But over the course of a 20, 22, 24-week season, whatever it might be, the, the, it's not going to be decided by luck. You know, whoever wins the tournament in DFS, yeah, they, they work really hard and, they, and they're very good, but there obviously is some luck involved. I hate that word, cliche, but it's true. That, that gets mitigated. And, the, the other, and, and, and we, we talked about our, our, our regular teams. You mentioned Chris Sale. You know you're afraid of, of him being hurt. Well, you know you didn't draft him, etc. Well, in DFS, if he's starting, he's not hurt that day. You can use him. And you know it, people. You mentioned Jose Ramirez. Maybe that was offline. I don't recall at this point. 
But you know, if you have Jose Ramirez and on your on your season long team, you're not dead in the water, but you're going to be sweating it out for a couple of weeks, perhaps. Well, in DFS, you just don't use Jose Ramirez, so it, it kind of combines to me the season long aspect with the inter- interesting and relevant strategic elements of a daily game. Uh, the Tout Wars Daily League works in a fairly simple way. We just uh, aggregate the total amount of points in a given period. The guy who wins the period gets a ticket into the into the final and so forth. So it's an aggregation of scoring points through the f- whatever daily fantasy f- uh, f- platform or format you're using. But you also said in the column, Todd, that there might be some wrinkles that you could add to that Tout League format. What kind of wrinkles were you thinking of? Actually, I think the Tout Wars League is a wrinkle. You know, if if the if the format is the highest point total after 20 or 24 weeks is the winner, I think doing it the way Tout Wars does it and breaking it into five four-week periods where each four-week uh, scoring session gets players into our, our tournament, I think that is a wrinkle. But, I mean, to the point being, you know, it doesn't have to be five times four. It could be half season and half season. It could be played... Um, you know, we play every Tuesday. It can be played, you know, twice a week, three times a week. Um, you can throw out the highest and lowest scores. I mean, you, you can do anything you want. So anything that anything that makes the league uh, more palatable to its participants, you know, it's not like there's a rotisserie rule book that we're following. You can do whatever you want to uh, to make the league to make the game fun, challenging, etc. So to me. Tout daily is the wrinkle over, you know, we do we do we do tout daily football. All that is as to the end of the season, who had the most points is the tout daily football champion. In baseball, uh, in, in part to someone's going to miss a week here and there. Um, we don't if you if you miss a week, you're not going to win. The, you know, you're not going to finish top three overall by having it this way. If you happen to miss a week, at the very least, you've got four other scoring periods to try to get yourself into the championship round. So that's the main reason why we did it. Not to mention, early on anyway, the first we had several people, you know, I don't want to play. But then they hear us talking about it. Ah, you know what, I do want to play. Well, it's already two weeks in. All right, so this first period, maybe you're not going to win, but you still got four more chances to get into the finals. And, uh, you know, once you're into the dance, anybody can win it. So, uh, you know, just be be clever, however you want to make it. You know, I'm sure that we'll come up with some some changes. You know, we're going to do it the same way, but maybe we're bored, and maybe we get together, we figure out a new way to do it for the 2020 season. Well, I've said it before to you privately and on the podcast, and I'll say it again. I think that if you win a week, you should get a golden ticket just for winning the week. And I know it makes the end-of-season tournament a bit bigger, but I think that would be a way to really keep people playing even if they missed a week. Uh, But you guys can sort that out, uh, put my two cents worth in. You mentioned that the comments after your column at Rotowire about this idea were almost all about how the readers don't like DFS in any form, and they don't want to read about it either, especially uh, at this stage of the season when when they want how can I win my season-long league? I sense that there's a bit of a divide in the fantasy baseball community between season-long players and daily players. I know there's a pretty big overlap. If there was a Venn diagram, the two circles would be you know, fairly heavily overlapped. But there's also uh, two communities that don't want to participate in the other guy's community. How do you perceive that? 
No, I agree. I think there there's some yeah, there it's 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 very polar. There are some people that are very adamant that yeah, I, I don't like it and they don't want to hear anything about it. And you know, part of it, you know, they're talking about the gambling, you know, they mentioned the comments, they're railing on about the gambling element, it's all luck and this and that. And if you read the piece, it's explaining that the the way I present it takes away the the gambling part because they're not playing for money and the luck because it's not a one-day thing, it's a 20-week thing, but they didn't care. They saw DFS, Zola wrote about DFS, um, you know, I'm going to tell them a piece of my mind that it's that it's a bad thing, and didn't, you know, tuned out and didn't care what the actual piece was. Um, but yeah, I think in general there are, and I think part of it is the residual, you know, if, if there was a time where DFS may have taken down fantasy, and, and that's in, in a bad way, in that, you know, the legality of it and the whatnot, there was a time where DFS was threatening to take away or, or you know, I- impact, hinder the viability of season-long, you know, traditional fantasy. And I think some people are still, you know, have that bad taste in their mouth. And even though we're past that now, the two can get along. Um, we're, we're, we're definitely past it. I think some people are still re- you know, resentful that they even went down that road. And I think I think I think some of it is part of that. And, uh, you know, and I understand the people at Rotowire that I, I, they're, they're just such a great group of, of readers. The the lack of trolls that I've had over the years is just it's it's kind of it's refreshing. But, you know, I understand these these people's comments. And like I said, I, it was my bad for choosing this platform when I should have blogged about it or perhaps wrote about it on my own site. Um, it may have been a misuse, an inefficient use of my personal bandwidth, but again, part of it is because I do, I am passionate about the DFS league, and it's not going to catch on. I mean, the, the DFS sites are not going to, you know, have a customizable uh, scoring system for it where you can set up however you want. It has to be done on a Google Doc offline or something offline. I, I've, I've come to accept that. Primarily because there's no money in it for him, but um, I I just it's it's you know the understanding that there are skills baseball skills involved with setting a DFS lineup, understanding what makes a daily matchup more advantageous or or, or detrimental, and under you know understanding those things and and therefore coming up with the best you know optimal lineup of the day. It's not all luck. There's a lot of you know skill involved and some of it you know the more we're learning the stack cast is helping us out we're not just guessing we are we know that this is a, a an actionable uh you know trend or whatever it might be to improve this situation so you know and those you know those are the things i want to learn about and you can't apply all of those to season long so it's just it's a way to uh, apply some of the stuff that we're learning on Statcast and and other means to our to our fantasy play. Well, Todd, this has been super interesting thus far. You um, mentioned talking more about uh, season long play. Maybe we can do that. Uh, we'll take a little break here, and then you come back in a couple of minutes, and we'll talk about season long play. Yeah, I'm already. Rem- I'm already. Uh, uh, the comments that we're going to get when you post it, and then have Zola stop talking about DFS. Well, I w- hopefully people will. Uh, let us indulge us for half of the half of our our talk, and we'll we'll hit you up with some good stuff the next half. 
Todd Zola writes for Masters Ball, Rotowire, and ESPN. Todd, stand by for a minute while I bring our listeners up to date on why I like to call BaseballHQ.com the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In playing time tomorrow, analyst Matthew Mugalian's American League Central report looks at all the teams in that division, including the effects of the Eloy Jimenez extension in Chicago, the Carlos Gonzalez signing in Cleveland, and yet another hot spring for Byron Buxton of Minnesota. In Facts and Flukes, analyst Eric Floramonti looks at five players, including Tim Anderson, Bud Norris, and Byron Buxton. And in our Buyers Bide Skills columns, our columnists have their spring training wrap-ups. Stephen Nickrand looking at the hitters and starting pitchers, and Doug Dennis looking at the bullpens. He'll have one column each from the American League and the National League. And those are just four articles among literally dozens, a small sampling of all the great content you'll find at BaseballHQ.com all the time, and why we call our site the best fantasy baseball website in the business. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Now it's time for part two of our feature expert interview, and it's my pleasure once more to be joined by Todd Zola. From Masters Ball, Rotowire, and ESPN, Todd, welcome back. Good to be back with you, PD. Let's let's talk some fantasy baseball. Let's talk some season-long fantasy baseball in particular. In another Z-Files column at Rotowire, you wrote about what you called the myth of overspending, a, an auction term, of course. And sometimes those of us who have played in auctions uh, feel like we overspend on this player or that player in an auction or took a player too early in a draft, I guess, which is the equivalent of overspending. But why do you think overspending is a myth? Okay, um, the reason overspending is a myth is because the dollar value that we're basing our bid on, it's just, it's, it's inaccurate. It, it's, it's, there's so many flaws. It's not just the flaws with, not, or the known flaws with projection theory, you know, in that, you know, 70% accuracy, whatever. Valuation itself is incredibly flawed i don't care what what system that you use the the number that you get is in it's it doesn't represent exactly what the player is going to earn and i'll be honest i don't even care if it's based on stats known stats if you're doing a retro draft there's the the, the you cannot come up with a static number to represent what the player is going to earn or what the player has earned and if that number isn't accurate, how can you say that it's, you know, if, if it's $40, and how can you say that $45 spending is an overspending or $35 is a bargain if that $40 benchmark isn't accurate? So to me, I don't, I don't think you can say overspending in terms of comparing to the, the dollar value, as it were. To me, overspending is if you could have done, if you could have purchased more stats with that forty dollars, or that forty-five dollars, if if we're talking overspending, if you could have purchased more stats with those forty-five dollars, doesn't have to be on one, you know, could have been spread around your roster, then it's overspending. But if you, if if that was the most efficient way to spend that forty-five dollars was to buy that player that you have at 40, then it's not overspending. But it's a matter of buying stats as opposed to X is greater than Y, therefore you overspent. Well, that's an interesting question, Todd. You, uh, in the 
column, you kind of made it a theoretical sort of thing, but it does have practical applications. If you have $41 to spend, you could say that you have a choice between a $40 player plus a $1 player or a $21 player and a $20 player. Because of counting stats, because of the ability to amass runs and uh, RBIs and stolen bases, how can the $1 guy ever be the way to go? Well, on, in, on paper, in a vacuum, proper value, let's assume for a second that that the valuation is accurate. If, it's, if you're doing it properly, the production of the 40 plus 1 should be exactly the same as a 21 plus 20. It may come in, in a distributed differently if you're talking roto, but if you know if we're in a home run derby or in a points league, if you will, the this the, the production should be exactly the same. So now it becomes down it comes down to sort of a a a, a I guess it's game theory, but just being you know format how the the format being if it's a mixed league that one dollar player you have got a a richer pool of possible players to emerge that are better than that $1 player. So maybe in a mixed league, you go with the 40 plus one because at some point you're going to replace that $1 player with someone who turns out to be a $10 player. Whereas in a only league, that just doesn't happen. The, the, the pool of replacement players just is not there so that you, you know, you, you, you're not going to be able to up it. So now, you know, okay, so now we're even. Well, in a in an in an only league, if you lose the forty dollar player, you know, man, you're just dead in the water. So you may want to spread the risk. So because if you lose the twenty one dollar player, yeah, it hurts, but doesn't hurt as much. So it becomes more of a a game theory choice. You know, I just kind of kind of you know sideways answered the question being in a single league format, ARL NL only. Give me the twenty one and the twenty. In a mixed league, give me the forty and the one, because uh, I think they can turn the forty plus one can turn into more than forty one, easier than the forty plus one can turn into more than forty one in an AL or NL only league. Right, and it, it, it combines that with the element of risk management, as you said. Mm-hmm. If you in in either format, mixed or single league format, if you take the forty plus the one. The, and you lose the forty dollar guy. Even in a mixed league, there's there's better choices at the draft, but there's not in the free agent pool, I should say. But there's mm-hmm. not going to be another forty dollar player floating around in the free agent pool at any time after the draft is over. They've all been pretty much spoken for, unless you get super lucky and Juan Soto happens to be available right. that week or something. But that's the exception rather than the rule. So as a risk management proposition, isn't it safer to go twenty one twenty? I think so, and uh, even in a mixed league, I I'm I'm the middle guy. I I play the middle, but you know, I, so now it becomes, um, if you're not comfortable playing the middle, then you know what, take the forty dollar player because you won't have to. If if you're not if you're not patient or don't have the bookkeeping history or experience to be able to be confident playing the middle game. And you end up either chasing the last outfielder or, um, you know, overpaying, you know, misjudging the, the room and overpaying for mediocrity in your situation. And not you, PD, but you know what I mean. And, you know, in, in someone's situation, it might be better just to spend $48 for Mike Trout or Mookie Betts so you don't have to play the middle. So the same $48 purchase for this person, it might be the smart play. 
but it might not be the smart play for someone else. And, you know, if we're reading between the lines, if I think that the the better player is the person that can manage the money better and play the middle, you're probably right. I think that that, that is probably the better way to go. But, it, again, if you're not comfortable handling the money in the middle, then it's not the way to go. Um, you know, but if I if I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm betting on two people, you know, not playing, but if I know this person is really, really good at playing the middle game, and I know this other person is a Stars and Scrubs player, and I have to choose which one I think is going to win, I'm probably going to put my money on the middle guy. Well, you make an interesting point about the other people in the auction. Uh, in Tout Wars, uh, American League auction that I was in uh, last Saturday, there was a bunch of guys going stars and scrubs, including me, and then there was a handful of guys who were pretty clearly not going stars and scrubs. Uh, Mike Podhorzer actually took Mike Trout for 50-some dollars, but then he bowed out of the auction for quite a while. And mm-hmm. Larry Schechter, of course, never goes w- uh, with anything but spread the risk with a sort of more balanced portfolio. And I thought to myself while I was watching, as we got into the middle rounds where the sort of $15 guys were going, both of those guys were in on it. And the bargains I think they were hoping to, were, that they were going to get weren't quite as bargainly as they were hoping because they were bidding against each other every time, plus a couple of other guys who would weigh in that had a little bit of money lying around and thought, oh, $15 guy at 10 bucks, I need the bargain, I'll bid 11 And all of a sudden, the, the perceived benefit of waiting on the middle guys starts to evaporate, especially the more guys you have at the table who were who were doing that plan. And if you end up with five or six of them, then you're all going to be equally uh, in, a, in a rough place because nobody's going to go for a bargain price. And in fact, they may all end up going for over the, the uh, established value, bearing in mind that there's no such thing as an established value. But if everybody thinks they're worth 18 bucks, nobody's going to get them for that because there's too many competitors. Yep, and that's part of the experience in you know of playing the middle game, that you know I I have to trust that it doesn't have to be you know eight or nine players, but I have to trust that there are three or four players that I think I'm going to purchase and eat up enough of my budget that I'm not going to be at the end. When I play the middle game, you know if you if you have a blood pressure meter on me, it's beaten pretty good. And once there's a couple of purchases, and once I make those, I kind of say I'm gonna, it's gonna work, and the blood pressure goes down, and I just know have to I have to execute at this point, and just you know the money is going to be spent. But there, in every you know doing this, it's not for the faint of heart. There, there's a long stretch where you are just sweating. Am I gonna have to chase a particular player? Now, part of it again, this is part of it is experience. And you you know you know the room you know other players are going to be playing the middle game, you kind of look at their roster and okay he's got he plays the middle he's got three open middle infield you know he's got you know two open middle infield spots you if you're going to spend a little bit up you know, you want to fill your middle infield spots so you're not battling that person for the same player um, so part you know this is this all comes from experience. And if you're in a you know in a room long enough, you know who likes to do what. And I in in, in for me when I did AL labor, I did the middle game, and this is one of the ones I was sweating because I'm not I mean I, I know the room, but I hadn't been in the room, and I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to come out on top, well, not so much on top, but come out without leaving money on the table. 
and it took me a long time, but I made the, the, the couple of the purchases, you know, Cedric Mullins comes to mind, a couple that I knew I was going to be pushed a little bit on and, and still be okay. And once I made those purchases, I knew that it was going to work out. But it's not, you know, I don't, if it, you know, in a mixed league, it's, 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 a, it's a little less, little less uh, nerve-wracking. But in an only league, it's definitely nerve-wracking. Because if you come out of an only league without a star or two and leave money on the table, man, you're going to need that Juan Soto to compete. You're just going to be behind the eight ball. And I'm not saying don't win, don't, you know, don't, don't try, but you are playing, you know, you're playing with $230. Everybody else is playing with 260 and you just have to be that much better in order to compete. But it's, uh, it's nerve wracking, but I do, I still think you can buy more stats in the middle than, you know, than you can if you pay for Trey Turner or Freddie Freeman or one of the, you know, Paul Goldschmidt, because I don't want to use all American League examples. Yeah, the the uh, issue for me was the difference between mixed and only. I played in a 15 mixed auction, and I thought right away that the only way to go in this thing was all stars and scrubs because the scrubs are not scrubs. You know, most you can, uh, in a 15-team mixed Almost everybody you get is going to be a full-time player, even at the $1 end. And so the challenge, rather than finding a guy that you can spend a dollar on near the end of the draft, is finding the right guy that you're comfortable spending a dollar on because he has the right combination of you know stolen bases or power or batting average or whatever it is you need at that moment. But there's no shortage of players as opposed to the uh, only league where there's definitely a shortage, of, especially of hitters. Right. Now my counter to that is... You're going to get those bargains at the end of a mixed league, regardless of what you did leading up to that point. So, you know, air quotes, if you overspent on the studs, you're giving back. I mean, you're not getting as much bang for the buck at the bottom. Now, I'm not saying, you know, don't, you know, it's it, it just, this is the counter in that if you can play the middle and get those bargains at the end, you, you come out ahead. Now, the problem is, especially. In a 15-team mixed league, is somebody? There's a ton of teams out there. Somebody is going to have is going to go all in on one player and go to the dollar days. You know, and, and with 15 teams, if you know, if 13 these teams are doing that, and you think you're going to get 13 of these middle guys, you're now, you know, you're now, you know, a, you're bidding with a you're, you're bidding with a different person each time, but they're willing to go five players for five dollars. And spend eighteen dollars on that last guy, and you thought you'd get him for twelve or thirteen, and either you have to go to nineteen, or you know, or or just drop out and not get the player. So, you know, th- with the counter being, you know, if I'm countering my th- your 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 point with, you know, that why why overspend if you will at the top when you don't have to, you're giving it back. Uh, it's so much harder to play the middle game where I in a mixed league, I do think you need to plant your flag on a few $35 to $45 players in order to prevent, you know, battling each individual person who's looking to, you know, you know, get $20 left for five players, going to spend whatever it is, $16 on one player, you know, therefore, you don't, you know, you can have that battle 10 times and you're going to either overspend 10 times or lose 10 times and leave a lot of money on the table. 
In the column, you also said there's a flaw in the standings gain points method evaluation. And uh, at this point, we're getting quite into the weeds. And I'm confident that the Baseball HQ radio audience is comfortable talking about this level of minutia. But uh, there, there are three competing methods for how to attach a dollar value to the projected stats. One of them is standings gain points, which uh, in, in a nutshell is... They try to figure out how much a given number of stolen bases or RBIs will move, how many points in the average set of standings you would move. So say it's 14 RBIs is worth an extra point, and then the points are divided out uh, by the the total, and you can figure out a value from that. You say the method's flawed. What's the problem with the standings gain point method? Uh, I, I will explain, but first I, I'd like to reiterate that all the methods are flawed. So this this is, when I say flawed, this is sort of a, an additional flaw, if you will, to standing gains points. All right, so you just you, you used you used RBIs as your as your example. If for every 14 RBI, uh, a player will move you one point in the standings. So say he has 70 RBI, then he's going to give you five points in the standings. Uh, it, it's elegant. It makes sense. It makes perfect sense theoretically. What it's overlooking is you don't get that point in the standings until you get one more stat than the last place team then you know so in 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 the problem being uh the barrier to get over for the last place team i don't i don't know if linear is the word it's not proportional it's not the same across all the categories because of game theory and the the player pool the way the stats lay out um it it, it takes on a relative basis fewer steals to get to second to last place, relatively speaking. The easiest way to look at it, if I call them barrier SGPs, in that if you take the, the SGP, the, the amount that you it takes to, to gain a point, and if you divide the last place team by that SGP, that's kind of the, that's, we call it the barrier SGP. You need that many SGPs before you even get a point. Those aren't the same. Those are not the same among the categories. So specifically what happens in... In, 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 in hitting is the the barrier for steals is very very low uh, just because some teams just punt steals or, or don't get the steals guys it just works out the barrier for steals is very very low and the thing with SGP is all the SGP get thrown into the same pool the SGP earned from you know we'll, we'll use Mookie Betts because he goes to all the categories his home run and steals and runs and RBI and batting average SGP all get thrown into the common denominator SGP and then value is, is, you know, the number of SGP versus the total population of SGP is your value. They all get thrown together. So when you do that, uh, you know, everybody contributes to the barrier SGP. A stolen base guy, you know, a, a Billy Hamilton, D. Gordon, some of his SGP contribute to the barrier SGP of homers and runs and RBI, even though he doesn't contribute to that category. And... They don't all go to, you know, and, and it takes fewer stolen base barrier SGP before you start earning value. So what happens is the stolen base guys in particular, uh, some of their their value goes to the barrier SGPs of other categories, and their in a vacuum price is lower than it should be. Now, serendipitously, this is how the market treats stolen bases. So what I like to say about SGP is it's right for the wrong reasons. The, the flaw in the method matches how the market treats SGP. Now, this could be a chicken or egg thing because SGP is the easiest and probably the most prevalent uh, valuation 
uh, method. So is are stolen bases cheaper because SGP prices them cheaper, or are they cheaper because the market, that's just the, the game theory, I'm not going to pay for steals because it's a singular category and they don't correlate to robbery eye and home runs, etc. I'm not sure chicken or egg, but um, an, the, an SGP value set is actually more representative of how an auction will go than one of the other sets, which may be more theoretically correct. So that's why I think serendipitous is the perfect word for it. I've always thought that the the big flaw with standing gains points wasn't the uh, the uh, replacement level or the zero level that that you have to set. I think that could be that could be managed fairly straightforwardly. For me, it's it's the idea that the system depends in large part on the gaps between eleventh and tenth being the same as tenth and ninth being the same as ninth and eighth being the same as eighth to seventh, and so forth. And in my experience playing rotisserie style fantasy baseball, which is now in twenty some years. Every year, those gaps are different, and in any year, they're not exactly uh, intervals. Do you know what I mean? It, it, in it, I've played in, in years where the wins category, especially in the middle, was clumped where you could pick up, with five wins, you could pick up eight points. And in other years, with five wins, you wouldn't gain anything because the guy in front of you happens to be six wins ahead of you. And And... I know that they're averages. I know you have to use something, but uh, that's the part of standings gain points that I've never quite been able to get my philosophical head around. Yeah, well, um, all right. So first of all, I mean, uh, using linear regression, least squares to come up with the SGP helps smooth it out. But the point being, you're right, um, especially stolen bases. And it's not so much this year, the past couple of years, but the, 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 the bottom few teams – are you know a very very uh, low and then the top few teams are very very high and then everybody's bunched in the middle whereas home runs it's not perfectly linear but it's more linear so that is an issue um and the, the other thing and what a lot of people think the flaw with sgp is it, it, it being i don't you know i don't they, they don't know what the actual sgp is how can it be the same from one year to the next one of the first studies i did on this 15 or 20 years ago is I take the SGP and I alter them all 10 and 20%. And a lot of this is due to round off, but your SGP can be air quotes wrong by 10% of each of the five SGPs and the value doesn't change. Just, I mean, it may have gone from $23.47 to, you know, $24.46 or something, you know, but, but round off, they're the same. Um, I think I just made this, you know, 2367 and then 2447. So those both round to 24, but there's an 80 or 90 cents difference. Um, so the actual SGP itself, and I, you know, I see the, the HQ forums. What are the SGPs? And, you know, how, how accurate do they need to be? They don't need to be that accurate. Now, the flaw with SGP, what you just mentioned, I, you know, I, I believe in the percentage percentage value method where you know, the percentage of steals you contribute to steals is how much you earn in steals. But you can make sort of a, I don't know if it's corollary, the corollary to the argument in that, you know, that that number of value in the steals is sort of in a vacuum. But for somebody, he's going to, that person is going to be, you know, at the very bottom of a cluster. And in another league, they'll be at the very top of a cluster. And, you know, the same number of steals in two different leagues are two different points in the standings. And yet, in a vacuum, they get the same value. But based upon that particular league, there, you know, somebody gets 10 points and somebody gets eight, and they both had whatever 112 steals. 
but that player in a vacuum both earn the same amount of dollars. So it's it's a similar point where the the, the distribution within each standings imp, uh, influence whatever the method is. Standing points gained is a little easier to pinpoint because you, that's what it's all about, the, the, the distance between people in the standings. But that's sort of one of the flaws that kind of permeates, whether it be standard deviations, z-squares, uh, z or PVM, you know, yeah, because all standings are not alike, um, absolutely. Now, you, you said that in your league, you've seen the gaps. If you average out, you know, maybe the NFPC, because there's, you know, hundreds of leagues of the same variety, this league is going to, you know, have gaps in this point. This league is going to have gaps at this point. If you use average standings over several leagues, it smooths it a bit, but you still, it's still not linear. You can't, you still can't draw uh, a straight line through the points if you were to graph them out. There's still curves, if you will. And I, th I think the point is smoothing them out doesn't actually help. In fact, it might even it might even be misleading because you draft a guy expecting that he's going to give you six standing gains points in home runs. Only in your league, his home runs don't give you six points. They give you four or they give you three or whatever the case might be because every league is different. I've always thought that was a flaw. But you said you prefer the percentage value method, PVM which assigns players their cash value based on their share of the final sums of all the various stats. And that gets to something that's been bugging me philosophically again for a while now about player valuation. All the systems set their values in some part by amassing the values of the top 210 hitters and 135 pitchers. This is 5x5 five five normal rosters. But we all also know that some part of the season stats will be amassed by players who are outside of those two cohorts. They're not going to be drafted, but they are going to produce. Juan Soto, classic example, right? Here's a guy who comes into the league and, and adds 35 home runs or whatever the case was. Even though he, those 35 home runs weren't part of the calculation and, and they are enough to throw the calculation off. What am I missing here? No, you're not missing anything. And this is this is baked into the reason why valuation is flawed. Um, conventional valuation says, or just exactly, you assign the draft-worthy pool is enough to fill a legal roster. So, okay, so the next step is I'm going to estimate the season-ending pool. Based on my hit league's history, I'm going to figure out the season-ending pool, and now I'm going to assign value based on that. So I'm going to, I'm going to have whatever it is. 305 hitters and not 210 and I'm going to have 211 pitchers and not 135 contributing you know their projections to the to the final pool but the problem now is on draft day you're only drafting 210 hitters and 135 pitchers so now you have to do some algebra so that you know this is kind of like the inflation calculation in keeper leagues and what happens now is you end up with the number back to you where at the beginning. It's kind of a circular thing. You do the valuation properly because more than X number of players are going to contribute, but I'm not going to buy all those players. So how much do I have to pay for those players on opening, you know, for my opening day roster based upon, you know, their stats? And it's kind of like you, you, you take a number, you, you make it smaller, and then you make it bigger again, and you're back to that same point. Um, you know, so does this, you know maybe, this, maybe this is a better discussion where... Um, maybe we need to do season-ending values differently. You know, so the conventional method is still the same way. Maybe what we need to do is for the season-ending values, how much did Mike Trout earn? We need to 
determine that based upon everybody that contributed to the positive player pool over 26 weeks. And, you know, again, each league is going to be different because people are going to manage their teams differently, injuries differently, make minor league call-ups differently. But I think that's a better way to look at it. And it might be a nice study to see, you know, even on average, what does a $40 player actually earn, you know, when you a player you pay $40 for, what does he actually earn when you make this end-of-season adjustment? That that might be a nice kind of study. And that might, you know, this, actually, we, uh, this might be a way to spend your money more efficiently. This this subset of, of, of tier of players purchased, when you redo valuation at the end, air quotes the right way, uh, returns a, a greater return of their investment. They're all going to make less just because the pool is going to be bigger. But, how, you know, percentage-wise, which which area, uh, you know, $40, $30, $20 player, which gives a greater percentage of their return? That might be an interesting thing to look at. I was going to say, if if we actually value the, even if you had perfectly accurate projections, every player is going to earn less than what the value shapes up because of the difference in the in the two pool sizes in in number of players. So, your choice is you can either overpay because you're never going to get the right amount of stats to justify the expense, or you can just pay what they're worth and you won't get any players until you'll get the last 23 guys for a dollar each. And presumably you might do okay with that, but uh, I don't think so. So I guess the question is, considering that the, you, you've got a flaw coming and you've got a flaw going, what's a guy to do? Well, that's why I think you have to think of it in terms of you're not buying stats and you're not value and i don't even think you're buying points yet you're buying stats and i think that you know don't don't you know so instead of saying is you know is this player worth twenty dollars it's can i buy more stats more stats with this twenty dollars if i spend it in a different manner so it's 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 kind of it's a little bit abstract and it's it's at the end of the day, I think we're kind of talking about, not, you know, not necessarily you and I, but in general, I'm not really saying we change a lot from what we're doing, but I just I think it's the mindset of it's not as a player worth $20. It's can I buy more stats elsewhere with that $20? And to me, this is the same application in a keeper league where the inflation, you know, you, you figure out the inflation and then, well, if, you know, Mike Trout's $45, 20% inflation, it brings him up to whatever, $54, $55. I can keep him for 52 It's under the 55 therefore I should keep him. Well, he's not a $50 player. That's what it costs to buy him with the money left on the table. Um, you know, so it's not, the, the question isn't, is he worth 50 is he worth $52, but... Can I buy more stats if I didn't keep Mike Trout with that $52? And again, that goes back to different stroke for different folks. Whatever, however, your 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 ability is best aimed to the auction. Some people should keep him. Other people should throw him back. I'll tell you one adjustment that I have made. Uh, I use Rotolab draft software. A lot of people use their own spreadsheets or other draft software, and they allow you to set category targets. And in the counting stats, what I decided to do this year was, of course, the the idea is you try to aim to get whatever it is, 10 points in a category across the board or 11 points in a category across the board, whatever you think it'll take to win. 
and then you take a look at your league history and you say, okay, to get RBIs, 11 points in RBIs in this league, typically it's going to take me 940. And what I, th- what I thought was, well, I know that I'm going to be aiming for 940, but I also know there's no possible way I can buy all 940 of them at this draft because I'm going to get some kind of production from the guys I get outside of the draft during the year. And I've looked around, and I think the difference, uh, some people estimate it's about 10% of the of the stats are produced outside the draft pool. Some people say it's as high as 40. I set it at 15, so I just lower all my targets by 15%. And I don't draft the targets exactly, but I like to know where I stand at any given point in a draft. And if I think I need actually 900 RBIs, I'll just say, you know, if I get uh, 820, that, that'll do, you know, or 810 or whatever, you know, uh, divide by 1.15 is, and I'll lower my target to reflect the fact that I expect to get a few more RBIs out of the free agent pool, and I'm not just going to be 100% reliant on the guys I draft at the table. A few things. Um, first of all, we don't often disagree, but I'm going to disagree with that theory in a minute. But first of all, I'm kind of, I, it's part of the forecaster. One of the pieces that you know, I wrote for several years ago that continues to be uh, written or kept in the glossary is I did that study, which shows how many stats that you draft. And it's between 10 and 35%. Um, sorry, that you, you draft between 65 and 90%, and then the rest comes from reserve or managing your team and the whatnot. So that's part of the reasons why I don't do target drafting. But what, so what you're, what you're, what you're, you're now doing is, uh, low, by lowering the target, um, I, I don't think you'd want to do that. Well, first of all, I disagree in that if you're target drafting, and you're using your own projections, um, you're going to blow away the targets. Everybody's going to absolutely destroy their their targets because they're they're biasing players they like and not taking players they don't like. And if you don't hit your targets, it's it's something wrong with your drafting. Um, and by lowering it, well, the reason that you don't get what you draft is someone's going to get hurt, and you're still including all of those RBI or stats in your in your total. But you're not going to get all of those. So now, so you, you're not going to, you know, so you've you've lowered your bar, but yet you haven't lowered what you're expecting to get from the players. You know, so, you know you're, you're, I, I, so I actually I, I do think that's kind of a a false sense of security because the reason you need a the reason it's going to be lower is because of someone getting hurt or not playing well and being replaced or having a well. Uh, uh, sent down or you know losing playing time, and that's and therefore you're playing somebody else. But at the end of the day, it doesn't to me it doesn't matter. I don't I don't draft towards targets because I just don't see. I don't think you make a different decision whether you're drafting to 940 RBI, or whether you're drafting to get as many RBI as you can. You're still taking the player that's going to give you the most RBI. And I think um, what it what it you know my old thing draft win the league not the draft. People that use Rotolab and their own software towards the end, especially in a draft, not so much as in an auction, but when they're in a draft, they plug in the different players, and they say, if I take this guy, I come out with 97 points, and if I take this guy, I come out with 94 points, I'm taking the guy that gives me 97, but you're actually putting more stats on your roster if you take the the other guy, and I see you got 26 weeks to manage the roster into more points. Those points are arbitrary, you know, in, in the standings. I want more stats. And I want to have 26 weeks to manage them into more points. I don't want to. I don't want to win the draft because Rotolab or my own personal software says so. So, 
most people hear this and they say, well, I just, you know, I, I like my balance between homer and speed. The bottom line is if you're more comfortable drafting towards targets, draft towards targets. I think that it can be more harmful than helpful and, you know, people are, 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 are successful in spite of doing it than because they do it. Other than the fact that it puts them in a, you know, if, if that helps your frame of mind, that's always a good, you know, if, if, if wearing an orange canary jumpsuit makes you feel better to the draft and auction, do it, you know. I don't know that you won because of that, but if you were to better lucky, if you had your lucky, you know, your lucky uh, pen with you, and it, you know, then if it makes you feel better, it's a good thing. In all the methods, Todd, there's an issue with how the hitting pitching split is set in the software or in your calculations, and whether your split differs from the league split, uh, whether you're extreme or, or right in the middle, all these kind of issues also affect the valuations that your software or that your Rotolab or, or that Baseball HQ or, or Masters Ball spits out. There's a valuation assumption that says we've got to set some kind of hitter pitcher split and how you set that is going to really affect um, how things work. And there's an argument to be made, and I'll, I'll just uh, ask you to answer both of these. Really, some people say the split should be 50-50 because pitchers generate half the stats. So Max Scherzer's actually a $65 player, a $70 player, not a $41 player like we uh, usually have him. Where are you on all that? Well, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give credit to Peter Kreutzer for first, you know, introducing me to that thought. And for a while, I, that's not right. There's 14 hitters and nine pitchers. Therefore, it should be... 14 23rds or you know whatever not so much straw man arguments but naive arguments um it but yeah after thinking about it yeah i mean half of the points are pitching half of the points are hitting therefore half of the money should be distributed to hitters and half should be distributed to pitchers no one does that um it it doesn't that's not what gets done at this point you know we can have a conversation in the off season why do we think the split is what it is and we'll have different theories it doesn't matter why. It just matters that it is different. At least right now, nuts and bolts. I have a draft this weekend. Zola tell me what to do. It doesn't matter why the split is 69% or 67 or 65. It just matters that it is. And you want to feel for what the room, what your what your what your auction is going to spend. This is the this is a big flaw with people. You know, I want to spend 80% of my budget on hitting. I'm going to take Rotolab and I'm going to make it 80-20. That's not what you want to do. You want to set it at what you think the room is going to do, and then you just buy more hitting at that amount. There's, it, it's a big difference. Otherwise, what you'll be doing is you'll just be, you know, air quote, overspending. In this case, it is overspending for hitting because you've, uh, you know, uh, allotted even more money than the market on a play. You just, just know that you know either you 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 go one more dollar on, on a player or you just buy more expensive hitters and cheaper pitchers to get to that 80 20. Um, you got to know the room the NFBC I mentioned it a couple times their split is normally around 62 38 whereas most home leagues and tout wars uh, came to this too actually I don't know what the mixed split is I should look it up or figure it out but they're usually down to 68 69 percent and it doesn't seem like much and again, values, air quotes, there really isn't a difference between 42 and, and 39. But those that are too mar- those that are overly married to these numbers, this, you know, even a 4 or 5% different split is going to make a $40 player 38. And it, it could influence, it shouldn't, but it could influence your bidding. 
So, you know, in a vacuum, given that valuation is flawed, uh, estimate what the room's going to do and do what you want to do based upon that. Now, the sort of, you know, and I think this is mentioned in an HQ forum question. What if I'm protecting a lot of steals, right? What if my, what if I got Trey Turner and I got Victor Robles on my keeper list? Do I want to then devalue steals um, in in my in, in, in Roto Lab to, to to give me different prices? In this sort of instance, I I, I think you want to know what the room's going to spend, and just know don't buy guys that are going to steal, you know. But I I also think I would run the numbers without steals. Just to, first of all, that tells me the players I want because it, it does the work for me. Um, but it, it also it might give me an upper limit as to what 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 I might want to spend on some of these guys. But again, it's what's the market going to spend? And then you know, Rotolab can't tell you this. Your program can't tell you this. But you know, when 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 another stolen base guy comes up, don't buy him. You know, uh, because you've got steals already. Yeah, when we were talking earlier about the uh, idea of player value, the thought that popped into my mind is that there is no such thing as a value for anything except for what the market will pay for it. And I think that's the uh, the approach that we have to take into all of these situations is, you know, I, I don't care what the software really says. All I know is that, uh, for instance, all of us have had experiences, I'm sure, where there's been a guy at the at the draft table that you just know is going to overspend for a particular player because he likes him. I had a I was in a league with a with a with a, a guy who always bought this one certain player for way more, even if whatever it took, and everybody at the table knew it, and, and they would take turns bidding him up just to get uh, his money out of his out of his wallet. He was a successful player anyway because he he knew all the other players very well, but. The value of a player, just like the value of a car or the value of a painting, especially in auction situations, is set by whatever the last guy is willing to spend. Yeah, no. If you want to buy, if you want to buy a painting for a thousand dollars, you know it's worth a thousand. But then you can say, could I have bought three paintings for that thousand dollars and made my made my den, you know, even more attractive? Or do I really, really like this one painting so much that I don't, you know, that's the one painting that I want? So again, it, it's not so much is it worth a thousand. It's could I have done more with that thousand dollars at the art gallery? You know, it, you know, some people would just prefer that one masterpiece, and other people want, you know, they get three walls in a in a window, so they want a painting on all three walls. Just a different way of allocating the same money. The same idea with the buying the players. It's not is is Mookie Betts worth forty eight dollars? Is this, I get I get X amount of stats for that forty eight dollars? Can I get more stats if I redistribute that money elsewhere? Right, and the other aspect of buying the $1,000 painting is you don't go in there and bid $1,000. You go in there and bid $1, and, and you hope that nobody else bids, and then you get your painting for $1 and put 999 in your pocket. And I, and I think the same thing is true in our drafts. I mean, there's always, if some if you nominate Mike Trout for $1, somebody's going to say 40 just to get the ball rolling, but because that's uh, just a way of moving them up to what everybody already knows is going to be the case. But, the uh, yeah, I think we, we often overestimate the... Uh, accuracy and utility of artificial values that we impose on these players when in fact uh, there's a lot of things going on in the room that are going to affect what the market sets as the price and that's the only value that matters somebody needs stolen bases then all of a sudden malik smith uh, his price goes up beyond what you or i or the software might think is is sensible but 
in the moment, at the time, in the context, it's perfectly sensible to that guy, and that's all that matters. No, exactly, which uh, it just feeds into it. It's, it's, you know, we both have run into the, you know, wouldn't we both like to write that perfect auction strategy article? Problem is we both know it doesn't exist. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, you can't even, you can't write the perfect draft article either, but it's a lot easier to talk draft strategy. So much of auctions is experience, being in the moment, adjusting that. It sounds like a cop-out, but the best teacher of auctions is being in auctions. And being in control of what you're doing, I entirely agree. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Todd Zola from Rotowire and Masters Ball and ESPN. And Todd, at ESPN, you had a column about how to stream starting pitchers, and this is becoming increasingly important in in leagues that have daily moves, uh, in, in leagues that have real big reserves and free movement of players. I know not a lot of leagues allow it, but many do. And so where does the decision to stream a starting pitcher in your lineup or out of it begin? Um, now, anyway, if you look, you're looking for the, the different factors to look at to, to improve the matchup or? Right. Well, I, I'm looking at my three starting pitchers that I'm, I'm going to start Scherzer every week and I'm going to start, uh, you know, Jose Brios every week. But I've got these three guy, end game guys, in my case, uh, Matt Shoemaker, Irvin Santana, and um, um, Jose Quintana, say. Yeah, Wade LeBlanc. Wade LeBlanc. Now, all right, so it, it's, you know, this, this could be Okem's Razor. The, you know, there's so much great information out there, splits and parks and weather and umpires and the whatnot, and they're all important. But to be honest, you just want the pitchers facing the, the, the cruddiest lineups. You know, you know the, that that's the number one factor is the quality of the opponent. And this might be more important for hitters facing pitching, but even so, for you want the the pitcher facing the weakest lineup. Now they're you know so what if you know the you know what if they're all equally bad? Then there are some factors that can t- break the tie. But that's the number one thing I look is what is who who this who this pitcher is facing, and it, you you want the weakest opponent's lineup. How do you assess which one's the weakest? Do you use WOBA or uh, Team OPS or what? Yeah, now it gets tricky because we here here we're going to, you know, we get into the, uh, it, whatever the stat might be, WOBA, strikeout percent, RC+, plus, um, just plain run scored, whatever that might be, all right, a team for the past week has played really, really well. You know, they knew they averaged three point one runs and they're they're averaging over four runs a game for the past week. Does that you know, does that factor the decision? Are they playing better? Um, you know, is, is that for, for in this in this snapshot of a game, is that team actually better than their seasonal stats say? So there is no black and white cut and dried answer. You know, to answer that, I tend to, you know, streaks if player streaks are unpredictable, team streaks are even more unpredictable. And I tend to look at the big body of work, but I'll I'll look at woba and you know weighted on base average and you know the, the, it, people have to understand what it is. It's a it's a very good proxy for run production. It is not park factored, uh, not park corrected. WRC plus is the park corrected version, so you have to keep that in mind. And you know having said that, now now you do have to factor in where is the game. You know a a, a woba. Uh, a pitchers against a, a Colorado pitchers against Woba is different than a San Diego Padres pitchers against Woba because that Colorado pitchers Woba came 
with a lot of games in Coors Field. The same Woba from a San Diego and a Padre, I'm sorry, San Diego and a Colorado pitcher, the Colorado pitcher's better because, um, you know, some of that Woba came in, in, in Rockies and Coors, Coors Field. So it, it, Woba and strikeout percentage are the primary metrics that I use to find my streaming pitcher. But even those do come with a with with a kind of a a caveat being, um, you know, now you need to break it down to the lefty versus righty. Um, a lot of teams are very uh, handedness matters. If we mentioned Wade LeBlanc, you know, if, if if a team is is the same Woba overall, their lefty righty split can be different. So you know, LeBlanc versus um, a team that right-handed hitters are much better. You don't want to use that team. But now, you know, by by I'm answering the question by, you know, a ton of more questions, which makes it how difficult this is. Once you parse things into righty versus lefty, the, the, the smaller the sample, the more variance there is around that number. So, you know, left-handed batters or, or against left-handed pitchers or whatever it might be, that sample's so small that, yeah, you get a number, but the variance around it's so huge. But you got to use something. And to me, at least in a nutshell... I will look at Woba against and strikeouts. Problem is this week, and I'm in the process of doing rankings this week. How do I know what the you know? How do I know how good it's you know? I, all right, so Atlanta made these moves and Toronto made these moves. I you know I can't use last year's numbers and I don't have this year's numbers yet. So when doing rankings for the first week of starting pitching, I don't know how much I don't know how these matchups. You know, I'm going to make a guess because that's what they get paid to do, but I don't know for sure how good the Kansas City offense. Well, or, or or how bad the Kansas City offense is going to be. So I don't know how much I should jump up a pitcher facing Kansas City. I just we just don't you know just don't know that. So the first week's rankings are going to you know they're going to be based upon how I feel the pitcher will do or the hitter will do. But their opposition is somewhat you know it's, it's not somewhat it's it's a complete guess. Could you not total up the individual batters, Wobas, or, or runs created plus and divide by the number of games that they played over the last couple of years against left-handed or right-handed pitching and enlarge the sample and, and focus in on the, the nine guys who are actually going to be swinging the bat rather than trying to do it on a team basis? Yes, but the, the thing there is I don't – I mean, may, maybe maybe our friend Derek Carty's uh, system projects handedness. I think most people for fantasy baseball, all you care about is how Matt Joyce is going to do. You don't care how he is versus righty and versus lefty. Just tell me how Matt Joyce is going to do. So if you want, if you want to break, you know, like I said, Derek's system might might be the one that I can think of offhand that could break it down. I mean, I'm, I'll admit I don't, I can't do that because I don't project how every, you know, I don't project Mike Trout versus lefties and Mike Trout versus righties. I project Mike Trout. Um, so. If there's there's something there, there's some, it's going to be, uh, it, yes, you can do that if your system is so intricate that it's set up to do that. One last thing, you mentioned umpires. Uh, how significant are umpires in making these streaming pitching uh, decisions? I, you know what, this, I, I'm, I, I don't, I know that they're important. I have not done a study to show how important. I'll bet you that that, that our friend Gene McCaffrey has. I don't know for sure. Um, I just know that they, they, they do make a difference. For me, it's it's still a tiebreaker. I still want I still want Max Scherzer. This is hyperbolic, of course. I still want Max Scherzer with a guy who's known to be a hitter's umpire 
versus um, you know Felix Pena with a with a with a pitcher's umpire. And again, you know, obviously making huge extremes, but when it, when it's close, I think umpires matter. We talked DFS in the first segment and the first half of the interview. I think it matters in that um, a, a lot. And the, one of the problems with umpires is, as you know, the first game of the series, you know, we don't know who the home plate up. We don't know the crew. So, and, I mean, this is, I mean, that people, you know, that are into betting and whatnot, they're literally spies if, at airports trying to find the umpiring crew that gets off the plane in that in that city to figure out who's umpiring that night. Um, and, and they they continue they do a rotation so they can figure out who the home home plate umpire is. Uh, that information generally isn't public. Once the series begins, you know that the first base umpire is going to be moving to home the next game and etc. So you do know the different umpires, but it matters. I think in a casual let's call you know an ESPN 10 team league, I wouldn't even wouldn't even care about it. But if you're playing in a DFS tournament and you're looking for every edge you can get, I think it matters. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Todd Zola from Rotowire and Masters Ball and ESPN. And Todd, uh, always like to ask our experts to talk about a few players you think will be boons and banes for the rest of the fantasy season. Uh, the season's just about uh, uh, to start, so this is a perfect time to get your uh, opinions on some guys. Uh, let's start with your boons. These are guys you think should interest our listeners. Starting in the American League, who's a hitter who's going to be a boon for his owners in fantasy this year? Yeah, you know what? We, we may have done this when, when I talked to you a few months ago, but it's good. I'm, th- these may have changed, so maybe they're the same, but it's uh, I like doing this. Um, call it a hometown pick or not if you want, but I really I want to... I want to see what Jackie Bradley Jr. is going to do this year. Um, I know he's going to continue to hit at the bottom of the lineup, but if we're talking about it, it would not shock me if we're talking about a 2020 player. In the National League, who's a boon hitter? Uh, Tyler O'Neill. And this is more of a anti-Dexter Fowler than it is a pro Tyler O'Neill. He's made the roster. Um, I just think that O'Neill's defense has has slipped to a point where his lack of hitting isn't isn't gonna you know isn't gonna make up for it, or 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 I should say his his poor defense is not gonna make up for his lack of hitting, and I think O'Neill's gonna be the beneficiary. Good Canadian kid too. Gotta like that as a hometown pick uh, for me anyway. Uh, how about over to the mound an American League pitcher you think will be a boon? Yeah, another homer pick if you will, but I I honestly think Eduardo Rodriguez is ready to take the next step. I know he's had the injury concerns with his knee. A lot of this is a leap of faith in that. Uh, he, he finally had the surgery that he, he's tweaked his knee, like doing, you know, warm-ups and the whatnot. He finally had the surgery. Um, and if he if there's two better lefty models to talk to uh, than Chris Sale and David Price on the same team, I don't know of them. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Rodriguez can do uh, with a full off-season of health and having a couple guys like Sale and Price one in the right ear, one in the left ear, giving him some uh, some tutelage. And in the National League, who's a boon pitcher? You know, in general, I think people take need to take a look at the Marlins pitching staff. Uh, I know that, that Dan Straley was released early this week, and it's going to open up a spot. Um, Trevor Richards is someone who's uh, already had a spot, and I uh, I tweeted out earlier in the offseason, in a battle of the Trevors, give me Richards over Williams. Even though you know Williams was the better pitcher or better numbers last year, I uh, I I like Trevor Richards as a streamer. 
the wins, who knows? But uh, I, I like the repertoire, the improving repertoire. It's going to get some strikeouts, and it's a great place to pitch. Todd Zola's Boons, Jackie Bradley Jr. of Boston, Tyler O'Neill of St. Louis, Eduardo Rodriguez, also of the Red Sox, and Trevor Richards of Miami. Todd, let's move over to the Baines. These are guys about whom you think listeners should be cautious. Again, we'll start in the American League. Who's a hitter who could be a Bane for his owners? Uh, Jerickson Profar. And I like the stri- I like the the strides he made last year, and you know you kind of know I'm a, I'm a I'm a park factor guy. I think it matters. I don't think you can apply park factors, you know, verbatim. But going from Arlington to Oakland is a huge, huge fall uh, d- downgrade, both in terms of base hits and homers. And Oakland, you know, is it, it likes their likes their platoons, and with okay with 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 Olsen out, it. It, it probably means Profar's in the lineup more, but you know he's a he's a his playing time is not assured, so I don't think you can look at his numbers in a vacuum and and assume he, you know he hits that way. The the park's going to hurt him, and the team in general, how they like to get everybody in the lineup, may cost him some at bats. In the National League, who's a Bane hitter? Ah, uh, you know I'm I'm going to go with Ozzy Alsby's and Ozzy Alsby at this point. I think a lot of people have sort of caught on in that spot in the lineup matters, and what happens tomorrow or open, opening day uh, might not be where he is at the end of the season. But I think people are still continuing to continuing to draft Ozzy Albies as if he's the number two hitter on the Atlanta Braves for 162 games, and I think there's just a very good chance that he's hitting lower in the order and. Um, even the player, the skills himself. And the thing about it, he's just so young, he's going to continue to improve. But I think people are drafting the name and the excitement, and I still think there's a bit of a, a shiny new toy allure. And I, I think that there, especially because if you're drafting him for steals and steals are so precious, you know what, give me Gene Segura in that area, a little bit more of a sure thing, um, something like that. I just think he's being a little bit pumped up based upon um, what people want him to do as opposed to what he will do. Over to the mound again. Who's an American League pitcher you think is a bane? Yeah, people are going to think I'm such an anti well, not so much anti-homer. When I'm, now I'm mentioning a Yankee. I'm nervous about what Jay Happ's going to do in Yankee Stadium. Um, he's he's guy that's kind of outpitched his peripherals for so long that I think you need to say that there's something – that it's a skill. There's something that we're not capturing about his skill set that that's you know that his expected ERAs are always um, you know, a little bit uh, higher than his actual. But with the home run proclivity in that park, I'm a little concerned that Hap will no longer be able to outpitch his peripherals. And back to the National League, who's a Bane pitcher there? Uh you Darvish, and it 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 has as much to do with I was kind of lower on Darvish even when he was considered to be an ace so my baseline is already lower and now with some injury risk and everything else uh factored into the equation I just think that it's it it, it, you know maybe because as we kind of alluded to I'm kind of not taking pitching early in drafts as much as some other people therefore you know some people say well you need you Darvish a you Darvish type to to get you over the top I also think that I can't waste a spot on a U Darvish and not have I, every spot is so much more valuable. So I'm taking my speculative ch- shots at, you know, someone outdoing their spot 
their draft spot elsewhere, and I'm just not. It's not going to be you, Darvish. Todd Zola's Baines, Jerickson Profar of Oakland, Ozzy Albies of Atlanta, Jay Happ of the Yankees, and you, Darvish of the Chicago Cubs. Well, Todd, this has been a real treat. Tell our listeners where they can read more from Todd Zola. They can read more from Todd Zola, and I promise I'll get back to doing, uh, you know, uh, non-DFS stuff on Rotowire. But they can read more from me on Rotowire, um, and I, it's it's not. It, they're, 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 I now do a Rotowire show on the on on SiriusXM on Sunday, and you know it hasn't anything. There's a chance that um, they may let me into the midweek party as well. Not just uh, they may let me into the club on 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 weekdays and not just the weekends. Now that they you know they they made the mistake of giving me one of those satellite things for my house so I can talk clearly on the radio. Um, you know uh, you may be hearing me more than just the weekends and. Uh, you know, Twitter. I don't. I don't really answer questions on Twitter. I need to do that on my own site, my own forum. But um, I'm. I, you know, I, I. I like to think I'm an entertaining follow. Well, you're every bit of that. Uh, you're also on a couple of podcasts. Yep, we'll be doing the the RotoWire podcast this week or this year. It's going to be uh, basically on Fridays, where we're going to go over two start pitching and any other news of the day. Um, and uh, you know, we'll. Uh, you know, I'm sure we'll be talking to you on several occasions over the course of the next 26 weeks, as it were. You can absolutely count on that. Todd Zola, thanks very much for helping us out. It's been great. I'll talk to you again during the year. Looking forward to it, Petey. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, March the 26th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 14 of the 2019 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guest for this Tuesday Tout edition of our show. It was Todd Zola from Masters Ball, Rotowire, and ESPN. Todd's one of the best fantasy analysts in the business. He's also a great guy and a tremendous guest here on Baseball HQ Radio, one of my favorites. I'm Patrick Davitt, the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed, at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio, and take a second to go to Pocket Cast or Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your pods, and if they'll let you, please leave us a good review and a rating. It helps us attract new listeners, and that really does help us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again on Friday with a Friday news and commentary edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. And so long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.